0: Good, good evening. <laughs> Miraculous. Thank you. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Um, lords, ladies and gentlemen. Sorry. Um, good evening. Uh, welcome to the Oxford University Museum of Natural History. My name is John Krebs, and I'm the chairman of the visitors of the Natural History Museum and standing here in that capacity. In case you hadn't noticed, it's a birthday today, um, not just Abraham Lincoln, but also Charles Darwin. And this event this evening is part of the worldwide celebration of Charles Darwin's birthday. And it's a joint event organized by uh, the uh, Natural History Museum, the Institute of Biology, together with the Bodleian Library and Oxford Philomusica. And my job is simply to introduce um, the chairman of the conversation, uh, but also to um, thank um, Raymond Dweck, who's helped to make all this happen, and Amy Sewell from the Development Office, who has also played a key role. And I now, it gives me great pleasure to hand over to Jeremy Paxman, who is going to uh, moderate the conversation Jeremy, it says that I'm supposed to introduce you, but you need no introduction, and so I simply hand over to you to uh, introduce the conversation. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much, John. I wouldn't worry too much about the health and safety announcements. The chances of a fire two days running in the same place are extremely remote. Um, Now... Uh, When I was uh, invited by John to come along this evening, uh, I was under the impression we were recreating the Huxley-Wilberforce debate of 1860, uh, which, although it seems in history to have had such a profound effect, very few people were able to provide any kind of accurate record of at the time or indeed 30 years afterwards. Uh, You'll recall that in that debate, um, Soapy Sam Wilberforce not played by the bishop on my left, uh, asked Huxley whether he was descended from an ape on his grandfather's side or his mother's side, and Huxley is supposed to have replied, although I don't think with any evidence he'd rather be descended from an ape than a bishop. But actually claimed to be able to remember only afterwards that he said he would rather be descended from an ape than to use his talents to obscure an obvious truth. I was rather alarmed uh, and therefore accused of being a typical um, trivial media type to discover that both Richards have uh, agreed that they're going to have a civilized conversation (laughs) between them this evening, which will include no such invective. I therefore rather rely upon you to inject uh, as much controversy as you like. And I was rather struck with the remark that Huxley made because he was actually rather reluctant to appear the first time Uh, he was invited, he felt that a general audience in which sentiment would unduly interfere with intellect was not the public before such such a discussion should take place. Now, this will, of course, not apply in your cases, and you're free to ask any questions you like, uh, preferably as difficult or, indeed, as rude or repeated as you wish, um, of either of our protagonists. Uh, But as you've come to this friendly stitch-up between you... (laughs) Who, who have you decided will go first? We haven't talked about it. We haven't talked about we it. About it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, well, uh, I don't think so. Stand up in a court of law, you
2: know. Um, right, well, I think you could start then, Richard. Winston Churchill said, History will be kind to me. I intend to write it. And I think something of that went on on this occasion because the the main account that we have of this (coughs) seems to have come from Huxley. And uh, he, of course, gave a good account. Um, Other people felt that Hooker was actually the one, Sir Joseph Hooker was actually the one who trounced uh, Bishop Wilberforce. Bishop Wilberforce himself was of a different opinion as we saw uh, in the... Um, Divinity School just now, looking at the manuscripts that were kindly laid out for us. um, He wrote a letter to somebody saying that he just got back from having a discussion with Professor Huxley, and he said, I feel that I beat him thoroughly. Uh, So we have at least three completely uh, separate conflicting accounts of this debate. I have to confess that I have always regarded this debate between Huxley and Wilberforce as a bit of a bore. Uh, I'm more interested in the issues than in winning debating points. And so I'm looking forward to uh, getting on to that with, with uh, Richard later. Yes.
3: Well, I'm, uh, I'm very happy to get on to any issue you want, Richard, but I think it is important to put the historical record straight as you have begun to do. The great myth of religion opposed to science originated 40 years later in a story in The Gentleman's Magazine. It's a wonderful story. Nobody could resist it then, and nobody can resist it now. The truth is very different. The so-called Big Encounter was not a big encounter. It was a side meeting. Uh, neither Wilberforce nor Huxley were billed as the main speakers. It wasn't advertised in advance. They were just called on uh, to, to, to speak. Um, and you, as you rightly say, uh, the, the, the main... Uh, Intellectual force for Darwin at the time was actually Joseph uh, Hooker. But um, a very brief word about Wilberforce himself. He was no slouch. He'd got first in maths. He had a very keen interest in natural science. He was vice president of the British Association for the Advancement of Science. He'd written a 39 page detailed review of the origin of species in the quarterly review, uh, which Uh, Darwin said was uncommonly clever uh, and had picked up all the weak points uh, in his argument. So he was no slouch. And of course what we have to remember, this is very important, most of the best known scientists at the time opposed Darwin. So in Wilberforce in opposing uh, Darwin was really standing uh, on the side of what you might call the conventional science of the time. Now I think most objective observers of this occasion did think that Wilberforce had, had lost it not on the grounds of science but uh, the fact that actually he came across rather badly and he wasn't very popular with Oxford dons um, and it was, I think it was Huxley's son who said uh, that actually it was a kind of failure of manners uh, that, he, that he had lost it
2: As for um, Huxley. Um, sorry, as for, as for Wilberforce's review of the origin and also, indeed, perhaps his performance at, at this discussion, it's widely believed that it was written by Richard Owen. Um, and that's where, when you say he was no slouch, um, Richard Owen was no, was no slouch. No. And um, we don't know, I think, how much of Wilberforce's review was written by Owen.
1: Did you believe in the creation myth? Uh,
2: what, Wil- Wilberforce? Yes. Um,
3: yes, I think... Uh, I think he did, as, of course, did the majority of scientists at the time. They, they thought uh, that all species uh, were created, as it were, ready-made. Mm. Um, that was the uh, prevailing view at the time.
1: Do of you course, believe it?
3: No, I don't. No, Why no. not? Um, simply because uh, all, of all that evolutionary biologists, biologists have shown us, Uh, about the whole process of uh, of evolution right from the origin of the universe 13.7 billion years ago and everything uh, that has taken place there since then, particularly on this earth, which Richard has written about so wonderfully uh, in his books. It's a wonderful, wonderful story. That, uh, there's no doubt in my mind, uh, that is true.
2: I, I think it's wonderful that Richard should say that, and um, probably most of <laughs> your, uh, most of your most perceptive of, fellow, <laughs> most of your um, your colleagues in the Church of England, at least, would probably say the same. Uh, but I w- must say, I, I wish you guys would get out there and do something about your congregations, because. It's not enough to say a few bishops and theologians support evolution. Of course they do. But the vast majority, at least in the United States and increasingly here, of the people in the pew and even more on the prayer mat uh, are simple, Genesis-believing, naive, young Earth creationists. And that's very worrying. and ought to worry bishops, at least as much as, as much as scientists. And I wonder whether you think that you and your colleagues are doing enough to correct the misconceptions among your flocks. And I don't mean just positively. I think I also mean um, standing up in the pulpit and preaching a sermon in which you may refer to Adam and Eve uh, and the fall and if anybody challenges you, you'll say, oh, of course, it's an only an allegory, it's only, it's only symbolic, it's only metaphorical. But how many of the congregation know it's only an allegory? And that's, that's what worries me, because there's this kind of tendency for preachers generally to assume that everybody knows that what they're talking about is symbolic and al- allegorical and overlook the fact that their audience is actually taking it literally. As Why does know. that matter, though? Because it's false. Well, why does that matter?
1: Some credulous fools choose to believe something that is untrue.
2: Why does it matter? Because they're missing such an enormous amount because the truth is so wonderful and so exciting, as Richard will agree.
3: Yes, and also um, it's because uh, a a literalistic view of the Bible totally misunderstands what the Bible is about. And it is important to understand that the Bible is a particular kind of, of literature which conveys particular kinds of truth through poetry through myth uh, and through 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 story and I think it's very important to want people to understand what the uh, Bible is about but I can assure you Richard I preached on Darwin last uh, Sunday straight down uh, the line um, and uh, <laughs> I
1: you probably I, wrote that for him too
3: and uh, well. I I, would, I, I, imag- I think probably most members of the Church of England do have no problem at all believing in the theory of evolution. I did get one very furious uh, email afterwards, um, and I had to say right back and say uh, that, you know, with all respect, I just couldn't believe, I could, didn't think there could be a meeting of minds because her... Fundamental premises were so different uh, from mine, but you're quite right. It is a worrying situation in the country. The latest opinion polls show that only about 50% of the population believe in the theory of evolution, and certainly amongst young evangelical Christians and young Muslims, uh, there is is still a strong creationist uh, belief. Teachers find that in schools, apparently. That's why this whole question of uh, whether creationism should be taught in schools has, has arisen so sharply, because teach, apart from anything else, teachers have found uh, in their science classes there are people who
2: actually take that view. Well, that is very worrying. And, it is and, worrying. And you, you and I have, of course, collaborated um, yeah. in trying to do something about that. But I want to come back to what you were saying about um, what the Bible really is, what Genesis really is. It's symbolic, it's, it's mythical, it's poetic. Um, that's a convenient thing to say in the 21st century and because that's the best you can say of it, but do you think the authors thought it was? I mean, didn't, didn't the people who wrote Genesis believe it?
3: Well, I think that the authors who wrote uh, what we call the Bible were very well aware that the Bible contains many different kinds of literature. I mean, obviously, apart from the else, you've got letters in it—the letters of, of St Paul. You've got biographies, the, 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 the Gospels, uh, in the Torah, the Hebrew Scripture. Uh, you've got you've got laws for living of all of all kinds. No, but got, don't talk about
2: Genesis, because that's. Well, what
3: Genesis. Uh, most, I, th- I think, it would be true to say that many of the Patristic Fathers, people like Augustine, um, interpret. Well, f- first of all, they they thought that the, what we would call the literal interpretation of the Bible was not the most important the most important was the allegorical and the spiritual and the moral the spiritual and moral truths you got from it so they weren't uh, interested so much in the literal side and St. Augustine for example like a lot of other people uh, thought that when Genesis referred to a day of course it wasn't a human kind of day it was a, a God's kind of day you know, which was a very very long time so it wasn't what we would call a straightforward literalism
2: when Jesus t- told parables, there's no question about it. He knew that it w- was a parable he was telling. And uh, he didn't expect his audience to take it literally. He knew it was a parable. But although Augustine may well have interpreted Genesis as an allegory, how did he know and how do you know that the um, Bronze Age anonymous authors who originally – well, it came from Babylonian yeah, think yeah. I think – It doesn't seem plausible to me that you can automatically assume that because something is a holy book um, that the authors of it intended it to be allegorical when most people who read it throughout history have interpreted it literally. And why wouldn't you interpret it literally? Well,
3: um, anybody who does literature knows uh, that any piece of literature gets reinterpreted in every generation, uh, and what we receive is always a reinterpretation of a reinterpretation of a reinterpretation. That is the nature of of, of literature. And it doesn't really, frankly, matter so much uh, what they meant, if that is ever recoverable, and that is really rather doubtful. What is much more important is what we actually think it means to us today. And... Uh, that account in the book of Genesis from a religious point of view is saying uh, that the whole universe, moment by moment, is dependent, dependent upon a power beyond itself. Um, and there is an ultimate divine fiat, which is... Uh, expressed in that kind of story way, you and I have just had the privilege of listening to a wonderful performance of of Haydn's creation, which I think was specially put on in on for, for your honour, Richard, because we knew that you'd uh, want to uh, begin begin this evening by listening to some words of scripture and uh, hearing how, how 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 wonderful wonderful they 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 were. Now, listening to that, that's not science, but it is it is saying first of all there is something awesome and wonderful about the universe, which I know uh, you believe in very strongly. And I'd like to get on that at some point because you've described yourself in public on film as in some sense a deeply religious man. And I'm sure that for you as for me in Haydn's creation, something of that sense of awe and wonder before the universe was, was expressed.
2: My feeling was that even the wonderful music of Haydn couldn't disguise the banality of the words... That, uh, we were, that we were listening to um, we, we need great poetry to express the wonder of the, of the universe but Genesis isn't it or if it is there's nothing special about it uh, you could go to the origin myths of any people ask any anthropologist there's but no I think I disagree
3: reason. with you on literary uh, grounds there uh, yeah. let there be light and God saw everything had me- he had made and behold it was very good you can't
2: do better than that. <laughs> I think we're just going to have to agree to differ on that.
1: Is there a problem for you as a bishop in telling your congregation, or what is it bishops have? Diocese, don't they? I mean, oh, anyway, telling your flock that part of the Bible is clearly not meant to be believed, uh, and parts apparently are meant to be believed.
3: Which, which is which yeah. yes well people believe things in, in different ways uh, but it's Genevieve. not true
1: i mean you've just said well, there Genevieve. are different
3: there are different kinds there are different kinds of truth the moral truths the spiritual truths yeah. uh, there's the truths of history and there are the truths of, of science the bible is not about the truths of science it does contain some historical truths but it fundamentally contains some, Christian, some religious truths written from, a, uh, from the standpoint of Judaism and, and Christianity uh, that there is something very special about us human beings, that we are made in the image of God, that is the sense we can think and know that we're thinking, we can choose, we're conscious of moral choice, we can pray, uh, and uh, that there is an ultimately wise rationality behind this universe who desires to enter well, into relationship with us. That's what the Bible uh, is about. Well, is, is the about. resurrection
1: a myth as well?
3: I don't believe the resurrection is a myth. No, I believe... Well, is the virgin birth a myth? Um, the virgin birth could be interpreted either way and I'm uh, not bothered too much about that. I mean, I, I do take historical fact very seriously, but clearly some uh, proclamations of Christianity are more important than others. Uh, And the resurrection is absolutely
2: fundamental. But how do do you decide? I mean, because it's all all there in the the Bible. You arbitrarily say, I'm going to believe that one, but not that one. That one's symbolic. That one I believe. That one's borderline. Well, I'm I'm not talking
3: at the moment about whether it is true or not. I'm talking about whether it's important that it's true. That's the only point that I was making there. It is absolutely fundamental to Christianity that the resurrection of Christ, in some sense... Uh, some very real sense is profoundly true. Uh, I believe that uh, if that was not the case, uh, then it would not be possible to be a Christian mm. believer. So uh, I do take very seriously the importance of certain alleged uh, in inverted commas historical facts. The, where I put it in inverted commas, because clearly the resurrection is both within history and out of history. is not totally containable within what we call uh, historical criteria and, and parameters
2: but you seem to be saying that we seem to be getting on to
3: religion rather than science i think, uh, we, need uh, to, uh, I think uh, we need to put uh, i uh, think we need to getting off creation
1: <laughs> um, no you're the one who, who who articulated this argument that these two things were not incompatible yeah we're just getting into some other areas where they might be incompatible
2: well, right. um, I'm, I, i've yeah. not come
1: across any other resurrections maybe
2: <laughs> go on richard um Well, let's get on to science then, shall we? we? Yes. Okay. Um, When you say that, and and of course I I agree with you, that the universe is wonderful and great and um, awe-inspiring, I find that I get that from science, and the more I learn about science, the more wonderful it is. And then if I go and read something from not just the Bible, but but really any um, piece of sacred text, any piece of anthropological speculation, I find that I'm brought down to earth with a bang. It suddenly ceases to be so grand, it becomes rather petty, rather small. Um, It's of course interesting from a historical point of view that people have believed these things and every tribe in the world Mm. believes different things. There is a certain interest in it. But it doesn't even begin to measure up to the scale of the universe. Uh, that's what I meant when I said that even Haydn couldn't really redeem no. the words that, of, of the creation that we, were, that we were listening to. It's small, it's petty, it's, it's, it's diminished. If only Haydn had lived a century or so later and could have written the evolution oratorio. <laughs>
3: um, but would you, wouldn't you say that uh, all the things which you regard Uh, as small and petty, leaving aside whether that's a correct judgment, uh, do clearly reflect our human limitations uh, to grasp the the majesty and wonder of the universe. Because I put it to you, if you feel like this about the universe, which you you clearly do, if there was uh, a a fountain origin of of the universe, then that fountain and origin must, by definition, be even more awesome and and wonderful. However inadequate uh, the, uh, well, the the limitations of, of our, our our attempts to, it, to it, grasp and express that. Yes,
2: in, indeed, and, and that's one of the reasons why I don't believe it. But we could come on to that to that later. Um, Sorry, what, what you don't. You, well, when you, when when you say found, you when,
3: yes, but but all I'm asking you to sugge- to to. Um, to say yay or or nay to, is that you clearly have this profound sense of wonder and awe before the beauty uh, and the complexity of the universe. All I'm suggesting to you, that if there was a wise rationality behind all this, which caused it all to come into being, which moment by moment holds it in existence, then by definition, that wise intelligence would be even more awesome and wonderful. And, uh, if, and if, s- if, there, if there was, yes, that's if, all I'm, if, saying. If I'm not saying. I'm not putting in the same corner of saying, you know, that, that, but
2: if there was. What, what, I, what I meant was that my reason for not believing in it is precisely that something that an intelligence capable of designing something so wonderful would exactly, in your words, have to be even more wonderful. That means even more improbable. Now, the, the biggest legacy, I think, that Darwin has given us, not, it's not just in biology... What Darwin has given us is a way of explaining how you can start from ultimate simplicity, the simple beginnings of the universe, the simple beginnings of life, and build up to it by slow, steady, intelligible steps to all the wonders that we we see. That's what science does. Science explains how you can get these wonderful things if you start from something simple. Now, if you start from something complex, like an intelligence, then you've sold the pass. You have smuggled in a non-explanation, disguised as an explanation. Uh, That was the point I was trying to make um, in answer to, to you there.
3: But I would suggest that, by definition, if there was a wise Intelligence behind it all, but then, by definition, uh, that wise intelligent must contain uh, within himself or herself the whole of the complexity which has emerged in 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 creation.
2: But it's so improbable that you would get well.
3: That to say something that's either probable or improbable, uh, you must have some examples, but we only do, we don't have an example no, to say well, it's either probable or well, improbable. There's only one universe here by, you know.
2: Let's, let's look at what Darwin actually, actually did. Da- Darwin showed that you can get complexity, you can get brains, eyes, wings, yes, yes. intestines, hearts, you can get all these beautiful and wonderful complex things starting from almost nothing. starting from molecules in the primeval soup and then going back before that. That is a stupendous feat of explanation. That's what Darwin did. That shows us what can be done by science in explaining the existence of complicated or inspiring things, starting from simple things which don't need so much of an explanation. They still need an explanation, but not such a big explanation. The the big explanation, which before Darwin came along, Paley and everybody else, as you you said, there had to be an intelligence, as they thought, because it is so complicated. Darwin showed that you can get from simplicity to complexity by slow, steady, intelligible, gradual steps. That seems to me to undercut the whole argument for an intelligence that lies behind it. You could say, oh well, God just decided that natural selection and evolution was the way to do it, was the way he was going to do his creation. That means that he chose the one method of doing it which made him unnecessary.
3: But you still have to face uh, the the issue uh, that uh, from this extraordinary simplicity at the beginning, there has emerged this whole complex process leading up to human minds... Uh, which can enter into and understand uh, the ordered processes of the whole system of, 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 of evolution. Uh, this surely is quite extraordinary, that something as, as simple uh, as as basic matter should have eventually produced you and me and Jeremy of course sitting it is. here. Uh, mm. uh, and, and the theory of evolution itself can't explain that yes, how, it can. It can't, it, 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 can't, it can't explain how that simplicity was there in the first place, a simplicity which, as it were, had all this uh, complexity built into well, it. It, which it, great it wasn't built
2: in. There, there had to be an initial simplicity, yes. and that does need an explanation, and that's something that physicists are working on, it's something that I can't help with. But it was simple. However difficult it may be to explain something simple, it's a hell of a lot more difficult to to explain something complex.
3: But would you agree agree that there are are, are two kinds of explanatory theory? Uh, There's one which uh, tries to uh, describe a process of how something is coming about, uh, which scientists do in their uh, laboratories. Uh, But there is another kind of explanatory theory. Uh, When you uh, go home or I go home, Uh, and we wonder about uh, the experience of beauty, or love, or the pain of life, uh, and we wonder what the heck's it all about. Now, you're not going to get a scientific explanation uh, to that. You're going to get an answer uh, that either uh, there is a purpose, or there isn't a purpose, or we don't know, but it's a totally different kind of, it's a totally different question, requiring a totally different answer. And what goes into making up of that answer is not just what you discover in the laboratory. It's your experience of beauty, it's your experience of of moral struggle, experience of human relationships, experience of of love, of of evil. All these go into trying uh, to see whether there is answer. I'm not saying there is answer, but it's just... I'd I'd like you to acknowledge that there is a different kind of question which requires a different kind of answer. I will
2: will acknowledge that uh, science is not, at least at present, capable of providing a fully satisfactory explanation for feelings of love and beauty, the overwhelming feeling from reading a Shakespeare sonnet or something like that. I will accept that. What I will not accept is that religion provides any better an explanation than science does of that. These are... Mysterious things at present, they're um, mysteries which I at least believe science in principle can solve. Maybe it won't ever in practice solve, but in principle, you do not add anything to your understanding of a love of beauty or happiness or, or just plain love by injecting a supernatural creator. That doesn't help. We've still got a mystery. We've still got a mystery that we're working on and it's very difficult.
3: But I think, you know, with due respect, you're, uh, you're, you're not facing the issue that, that there are certain uh, kinds of question which can only be answered or, a, or, or addressed in terms of whether there is a purpose or or not a purpose. If I reach forward now and take that glass of water and somebody says, what happened? You get a description of what you happened. If you say, well, why does he reach forward to take that glass of water? The answer, presumably, is a personal answer. I was was thirsty, or I chose chose to do it. This is a, a different question, which requires a different kind of... Uh, well, of, it, of, of, of answer it,
2: it is a different question but I'm really surprised that you think it needs a religious answer because. Um, well
3: let me if I may p- point to your own writings um, I think if I might say so the bits of the God delusion that are particularly helpful when you write about morality now uh, what I gain from this is that although you think uh, a capacity for uh, moral choice or moral discrimination is in some sense built in into us uh, we're not uh, tied down by simply what nature's given us because our moral sense becomes, as it were, inculturated. It takes cultural form uh, through poetry, through the choices we, we make. Now, this seems to me to indicate uh, that you're concerned uh, about culture and human purpose and not just what the evolutionary purpose, per- process has yes, given us. Yes, I mean, I,
2: of course I am. And, and if, you
3: allow, if you're willing to do that in principle about morality, why wouldn't you in principle uh, allow it to do... Do it for, with the possibility of a spiritual, an ultimate spiritual meaning to life. I'm not arguing there is, just to, to hold open the possibility that it might be there. It's a legitimate
2: question. If by spiritual you mean poetic, artistic, um, subjective, all those things I accept and regard as manifestations of brain activity, which we don't yet understand. If by purpose you say you, you mean some kind of ultimate purpose, what is the ultimate purpose of the universe? I don't think it's a legitimate question. I mean, it, it, it seems to me that we are beings who have been conditioned throughout our lives to ask purpose-type questions. It's easy to say my purpose in reaching for a glass of water is I want to drink. I mean, that's, that's pure brain stuff. That's, that, that's not a problem. If you say, what is the purpose of the universe? What is the, the ultimate purpose of, of, of the world? then I I would simply say that's not a legitimate question. It's not a question that that deserves an answer.
3: But it seems to me that uh, a logical consequence of the view you're taking uh, is that this very conversation which we're having together, as it were, has been built into the natural process, where for me it is a discussion about the possibility of of truth or different kinds of truth. It's not just been built into us by by nature. It's not uh, predetermined and pre-selected. Uh, there are, there, are, there are possibilities open of,
2: of moving forward or mo- moving somewhere new. Somewhere well, I think new. we're just saying that humans are very complicated and, and um, we have complicated conversations and social relations and culture and, and um, that doesn't mean that, that ultimately there's not a scientific explanation. It may be one that we'll, we'll never
3: get. But can get. I point also to your uh, um, search for scientific truth and and particularly Darwin. I mean Darwin was a very good person we, we certainly agreed on that man of enormous integrity painstaking in the research he did driven by the desire to get at the truth of things and so uh, so are so are you. Now this is much more than simply that something has been built into our bodies. It's more than simply activity going on in the brain. It's it, it's something else altogether.
2: Well how do you know?
3: Well, let me ask you whether you, your desire for truth, is, it's, it's obviously important to you, and I'm sure you wouldn't want to think of it simply in terms of grain activity. Of course there is activity going on. I would. Um, hmm? I, I, you I, would?
2: I, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, I can't think what else it would be. I mean, that doesn't make right, it any right, less... Right.
3: Well, of course it's activity going on in the, in, in the brain, but... Um, when you go into, in, in, into the lab, you don't think just, "Well, there's a lot of funny activity going on in my brain today." You're actually uh, trying to, no, you, you know, don't to, think to, to, that.
2: to discourse. Of you no, don't think no, that. no. You're totally involved in what you're trying to of do. Of course. And, the, and similarly, when you when you fall in love, when you listen to, to music, you don't think, "Oh, think of all those neurons firing away." I mean, no. you, you know, we we are human, but that doesn't mean that if, if we're challenged to say, "Does the existence of a love of poetry and music and and, and other people?" Imply some kind of supernatural? No, it doesn't.
3: Well, I think we can have to differ there. Do you think we ought to let somebody <laughs> Okay, let's else, have some
2: questions
1: from, Um Well, you, you, go on. You have to speak up a bit. of how the evolution works. Okay, I think that's for Because I know that there are very
2: critical views that say that in his words he really was wrong. Richard? Uh, Darwin um, didn't invent evolution. Obviously, that's an old idea. He didn't even invent natural selection. There were other people who thought of natural selection. What I think that Darwin and actually Wallace as well did was to recognize that natural selection is, a, is the powerful driving force which pushes evolution in the direction of adaptation, in the direction of improvement, in the direction of beauty, and, and uh, everything that creates an illusion of design. So there were others who, who had, the, had the sort of essential I- ideas, but Darwin and Wallace were the only people who saw the significance of it and realized that it was the answer. To the great riddle of the existence of life, Now, when you say there are there are severe critics of Darwin, um, I don't. Obviously, Darwin got some things wrong because you know he lived a, a century and a half ago, um, but um, I don't know of any serious critics who will say. Gradual is, the system is well. Gradual. It, The system is gradual insofar as it is anything that matters. There is a certain amount of controversy about whether um, it's a so-called theory of evolution by jerks, whether whether, um, evolution goes in abrupt steps sometimes... um, There is a certain amount of evidence in the fossil record that that this can happen, but it's not a big deal. It doesn't detract from the fundamental point that evolution is gradual insofar as it explains the origin of complex uh, apparent design. Okay, let's have another question. Yes, you, you, sir. Uh, Professor Dawkins has held up the
4: prospect that things like the experience
2: If you feel uncomfortable, then that's just tough. Um, Because something is uncomfortable, it doesn't make it untrue. Anybody who says religion makes you feel comfortable, therefore it's true, is obviously putting forward a logical non-sequitur. Now, I don't feel all that uncomfortable, uh, and I'm not quite sure why you do. Um, I'm quite happy to live my life as a human being, to forget that as I... uh, love and listen to music and all those nice things, but to forget that it is neurons firing that are making me have those those feelings, of course I don't do that, of course I'm an ordinary human being who feels the same way as anybody else I do not know that science will ultimately ever explain those things, but I'm pretty sure that if science can't explain them, nothing else can Yes sir Aesop knew that what he was saying in his fables was uh, was an allegory. Aesop was in no doubt about that. Anybody who's ever read Aesop is in no doubt about it. Fifty percent, as Richard told us, of the American public uh, believe literally that the Book of Genesis is fact. Exactly, but it's. But but people who are are going to to defend Genesis and are going to stand up in pulpits and preach from Genesis must take some responsibility to disabuse their flocks of this literal-mindedness. But I I went further and said, we don't know what the Bronze Age herdsmen who who first codified this particular myth um, believed. Maybe they did think it was literally true. And Richard Harris then said that... um, stories can change their meaning as history goes by, as the centuries go by, they, we interpret them in different ways. That's sort of all right. I mean, I can kind of see that, but it worries me when um, an awful lot of people take them as factually true, and I sort of feel that at least some respect should be given to the intention of the original meaning. If Aesop had believed literally in the story of the fox and the, and the grapes, and we said, oh, well, of course, Aesop, never mind what he believed... We take it to mean um, that, that it's the story of the sour grapes. I sometimes feel, I mean, let me give you a little allegory of my, of my own. Um, uh, suppose that at some future time, the double helix, the DNA double helix, is shown to be false. And But by then, the whole of science has become so wedded to the idea of the double helix that they say, oh, well, of course... Um, it's not actually true that there's a double helix, but what's the deeper meaning of the double helix? I mean, what's the symbolic, allegorical <laughs> meaning of the double helix? Something about the, the twisting round of the, of the helices symbolises human love? or, or I mean, you could, you could have enormous fun doing that kind of thing, but it would be kind of silly, wouldn't it?
1: <laughs> right, I'm just looking to see if there's anyone of a, a different... Is there anyone up there who wants to ask a question for you? No, okay, right. with you, sir. I wonder if Bishop believes
2: that God works through evolution to produce
4: species. And uh, if so Who
3: is can I could you put you your hand up? Oh like thank see... I wonder if you believe that God works through evolution, Darwinian type evolution, to produce all the wonderful species we have around us. Because it strikes me that there's nothing more cruel than evolution. And uh,
1: if God allows us or encourages it, or invoked or, or it, he, must, he cannot be a loving God. Because it's the cruelest way of producing species when he could magically
4: have just done it the, the Genesis way. Well
3: thank, well, thank you very much. No, I think um, there, are, there, are, there are several very crucial issues. Um, uh, first of all, um, to, crea- to be created at, a, at all is to be created with a, a life of one's own. And When God said, let there be... He literally did let things be uh, from the most elementary uh, particles up to us with a, with a life of, of their own. Um, and not long after The Origin of Species was published, I think it was Charles Kingsley was the first person to say this, uh, that God doesn't just make the world, he does something much more wonderful. He makes the world make itself. So uh, I believe uh, that the whole process of evolution is, is the... I, I, is the world making it, it itself? Now, I think in pointing to the apparent cruelty of, 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 uh, the, of, of evolution, uh, for me, that does raise much more serious and significant problems than the theory of evolution it, itself. I really do believe that it is the character of evolution which raises the fundamental question marks against a religious belief rather than the theory of evolution uh, itself. On the other hand, we can uh, say, uh, and you've I think pointed this out in one of of your books, that nature is not simply a competition to survive in the Victorian sense of red tooth and claw because cooperation is built into nature as well as as competition and the ability uh, of uh, genes to cooperate within their own organism and organisms to cooperate within species is also a very, very important driver of evolution. And Richard will put me uh, right if I'm wrong this, but I've picked this up from, from one, of, one of your books. So it's not all read in tooth and claw. Cooperation is also a driver of evolution. But I do agree with you that in principle, uh, it is uh, the character... Of evolution, which raises question marks against uh, a religious belief rather than the theory of evolution itself. Have uh, I got it right about cooperation? Would you agree with that? Or I wouldn't go- say
2: cooperation is a driver of evolution. I'd say cooperation is one consequence. One, uh, right.
1: There's a chap standing up at the back there. Go on. Um, I was interested in the
5: early discussion where we realized that many of the bishops are enlightened and understand the Bible and its uh, connotations. But the flock are way
4: behind. Now what I want to ask is, can we have an evolution within religion?
3: Because at the moment, most services, be they Christian or Jewish or whichever, are a continuous mantra of praise to the most holy,
4: but seem to say nothing philosophical of any great substance. Can't you reach a religion? Can, it, can religion evolve? <laughs>
3: Is this a question for you, Richard? No, it's been... <laughs> it's a, it's a, well, it's a question about evolution, so uh, <laughs> um, I, I, I believe that, that uh, whilst certain fundamental truths do remain, uh, a religious view of the universe does have to respond to new facts which are discovered and has to account for this and uh, include them in, the, in, a, in an overall re- religious perspective on on human existence. So, uh, there is a sense uh, in which a religious view of the universe ought to be evolving uh, all, all the time. Um, and I suppose that's, that's one of the reasons why uh, I don't, I don't think Anglicanism is the last word, <laughs> that's an understatement, isn't it? Um, um, I do believe uh, that it is a, a church. Which, on the one hand, tries to remain true to the fundamentals of the past, but is open to the future and tries to be responsive to new truths as they emerge and to include them with an overall coherent and consistent view uh, of the world from a Christian point of view.
1: I think we've probably got time to squeeze in one more question. Yes, yeah, well, there's a lot of hand waving, yes, there's a lot of hands pointing at the same man, person. Yes. Man, yes. Go on, man, then. Off you
5: go then, yes. Thank you. He you yourself talked about how um, ages ago, in the time of Darwin before, uh, most Christians didn't leave, everyone really, uh, didn't believe in an evolution, and rather believed in creationism. And before that, they believed uh, the earth was flat, and before that, uh, they believed in behemoth and the dragon of the revelations, and, and before that, and other things, which science has then gone to disprove. So, uh, and science pulls back what could be seen as the religion of the gaps, or the god of the gaps. Um, is it not impossible? Uh, is, it not, sorry, is it possible that religion as a whole will one day be sort of pulled back as, as we do answer the questions of, of how life began, how the universe began? And, and furthermore, does it not imply that um, the slow chipping away at sort of the realm of religion, what it covers, uh, means that rather than a, a sort of celestial inspired religion, we have a, a more naturally occurring phenomenon which sort of the primitive man invented as a, as a pseudoscience rather than, than having a, a set of beliefs which is absolute. Because if, if you're constantly changing what should be a, a divine belief, does not sort of make a thing that it is a, a belief which cannot be guaranteed. Okay.
3: Thank you for that. No, I don't think that religion is, is going to uh, die out. I think that so long as we human beings are on this earth, we will go on posing questions uh, to which... Uh, religious answers uh, are available and there will be people who will believe those uh, religious uh, answers I think it's absolutely fundamental uh, to us as human beings that we do ask these kind of questions uh, and uh, religions will remain there uh, as offering people uh, some of the possible answers which are uh, uh, available
1: I think we can probably squeeze one more in before before we have to go yes you've had your hand for a while Yeah, I'll repeat it for you in a second.
4: <coughs>
1: so your question is specifically what, what does religion have to contribute to what? Well, to the fact that we are genocide alone. Okay, fine. No. What... <coughs> Religion hasn't made a substantial contribution to, or has no role to play in addressing in addressing issues of extinction and the rest. Yeah. Okay. Go on.
3: Well, um, it seems to me that if if we're considering environmental issues and particularly the extinction of of species, um, what we bring to bear on it, whether we're atheist or religious or agnostic, uh, is a moral concern about it. It's not science itself which gives you that moral concern. Many scientists will have a moral concern about the extinction of various species. So will religious people, so will will non-religious people. But this is not a scientific question, it's a question uh, about ethical responsibility. And religion claims not always Uh, It's not always successful in practical claims to enhance people's sense of ethical responsibility. Now, I do think that the religions, uh, the monotheistic religions, are to blame in some respect in uh, uh, in this area because the phrase in in Genesis that human beings have been given dominion over animals has been clearly taken by some people as meaning the ability uh, or the, the right to exploit uh, I, the environment in, in a ruthless uh, and, uh, and, and total kind of way. And people now are reinterpreting that uh, to mean that human beings have been given a stewardship of, of creation. So that is one of the ways in which I think uh, in which religious people, Christian people are now coming to a different interpretation of that particular phrase in Genesis. Richard Dawkins, very quick. i just
2: like to... to um, I think what you've just demonstrated, Richard, is that um, as the centuries go by, as the decades go by, we, become, we change, we become more enlightened, yeah, yeah. Um, we've, we move on, and you've stressed that several times. We all move on, whether we're religious or not. And so the the ethic which says we, do, we now have stewardship of the earth, not, yeah. do, not dominion, is something which is secular as well as religious. Yeah. Now, you can... If you wish, having decided that on the basis of this shifting moral zeitgeist, you can then go back to your holy book and find verses that will support it. But why bother? I mean, you've come to it through this shifting moral zeitgeist. We are all in this together, moral philosophers, legal philosophers, parliamentarians, journalists, just ordinary people. We agree about our shifting morals, our shifting ethics, our shifting politics. We don't need to go back to the Bible and find the verses that agree with our modern consensus. We can just forget the Bible and just stick to our moral consensus.
1: Richard, uh, and Richard, I'm going to we're gonna yeah. have to stop it there. Because
2: uh, 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 right, right, okay.
1: Can I just, uh, on your behalf, thank uh, both Richard Dawkins and Richard Harris for a very stimulating <laughs> discussion. Thank you.